and reality doesn't offer happiness all the time. And to stay alive, we need anxiety. So we really don't want to get rid of it. Because it's a fight or flight, isn't it? Yeah, we need it. Yeah. It keeps us alive. In this episode of my podcast, Relentless Life on Your Terms, I sit down with the Melbourne-based Lillian Najard, who's a clinical psychologist for over 20 years and has written over three books. We cover the topics of mental health, work-life balance, and insomnia. I've put in the links to her three books in the comments below. Remember, if you like what you see, like, subscribe, and comment. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another edition of our podcast. Today joining me is Lillian Najard, who's a clinical psychologist and lives here in Melbourne. Thank you for joining us, Lillian. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Now, you obviously do very interesting work, and you've also written three books about the matters of high stress, um, what other topics do you anxiety. cover? Anxiety. Yep, and insomnia. Work-life balance, insomnia. So, mm. very interesting topic, especially considering we're such a hard-working state or country. Tell us a bit about that and what made you start into this journey 20 years well, ago. Well, you know, I've been a clinical psychologist for over 20 years. And in that time, I've worked in a variety of settings, including public mental health and community health and in universities and now in private practice. And during that time, I actually wrote wrote a few books. Um, the first one was for clinicians to help pe treat um, people with stress and anxiety issues. The second one was actually a CD of relaxation exercises, which are um, an evidence-based way of reducing stress and anxiety. And the third was more recent, which was a book on collating all the evidence base on the best ways to improve your sleep if you have insomnia. When you refer to evidence-based, what do you mean by that? So when it means that it's scientifically backed. So there's good research that's been done to show that these skills and strategies are actually effective for most people. It's a very good foundation. Now, I'm a big, I love talking about sleep studies because there's so many people and get up very early. And I did a few studies because for many, many years I was getting up super early, um, as early as 2.45 to come up. And I, and I went and did a study. And, that, and what this study found, and correct me, seven, uh, 95% of Australians or people require seven to nine hours. Adults, two and a half percent, yeah. adults, sorry. Mm -hmm. Two and a half percent require more, two and a half require less. Mm -hmm. But what I was intrigued about is, does this have mental or uh, insomnia effects where you lose part of your memory if you don't sleep as much? Does it have burnout effects? And it really depends on the individual, I was told, but I'm very keen to hear your thoughts on that. Does that have effects on people that sleep less because they want to get up earlier for whatever reason that may be? Well, I think it's the amount of time, the amount of total time of sleep that's really important. So if you're getting up at four in the morning, for instance, yeah. and some careers actually require, um, require that, yeah, right? Course, you think about radio people yeah. and stuff. That, but that, what that means is you need to go to sleep earlier so that you get your seven and a half to nine hours. So is that your optimum, seven and a half to nine? Seven to nine. I'd say the sweet spot, seven and a half to eight for most people. Wow. But seven to nine is like the, the normal range. What's and what's your, what's your feelings on um, if you do sleep less, or take anyone, for example, that does sleep, say, five hours or six hours, yeah. does that have an effect on you on, on you later on? in the? If it's not immediate, will it have an effect on your memory well, later or anything like that? Because that's what the things I was reading on. Yeah, well, and the research does show that you actually do need seven to nine hours. Other And what the risks are, are there's cognitive risk, like you were saying, with your, with your memory. But there's also just long-term health effects, too. So it can have an effect like on what, your heart health, on your immunity, um, a whole range of you know your blood pressure a whole range of things so it's definitely helpful to get a good amount of sleep um, 
to assist with your overall health, but also how you think and also how you feel. Because we know if you get you know, less sleep, most people are a little bit more irritable. They're, they can be more grumpy. Um, a bit short, do you, are these traits that you recognize? No, I just so, think it's true though, if, it you, don't, if true. you don't sleep much, yeah. Yeah, it is. So people who um, suffer with like chronic insomnia, so they're chronically sleeping less than seven hours, um, who don't require, I mean, there are, like you said, there's a, there's, a, there's a small percentage who don't need seven hours, they might need six. But if you're chronically getting less than that, um, you're going to have some issues, both physically and emotionally and mentally. Unless you fall into that small percentage. Unless you fall into that small percentage, but you shouldn't really ever be going below six hours. But either way, you should always do research. This is a very important topic to make sure that your mind is well rested for the case Absolutely. may be. Absolutely. It's so important. Um, and there are benefits when you're sleeping. It, it helps consolidate things like your, you know, in your memory. So that's why you might lose, you know, some of that capacity if you don't get enough sleep. Which makes perfect sense. Now, you talk a lot about work-life balance as well, um, in terms of, you know, people not burning out. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I actually, I want to actually challenge that notion of work-life balance, because I actually think it's just life balance. I mean, just think about, it's, work is part of our life. I don't know why we separate it out, right? So it's really about... How do you create balance across all the areas of your life that are important to you? And that includes work, that includes social, that includes family, friends, um, and maybe other interests. So I, I talk about that, and I think it's, I call it work-life choices, because mm -hmm. everything's a choice. I love your analogy. Um, but look, I'm of the opinion, and I don't know how many people would agree, particularly while building a business, if you're to build something great, it requires many, many hours. It requires sacrifice. Absolutely. And it requires an understanding partner family, kids, spouse, whatever the case yeah. may be. And um, when people say, what's your work-life balance? I don't see it as, even though it's heavily towards work skewed, mm. I don't see it as an issue because I love that as long as my partner's understanding and it's quality time that I'm providing when I'm at one or the other. Yeah, and so what I, like if someone was to say, you know, that they feel like they're out of balance, I think the question I would ask is, so what are the areas that are important to you and how is work impacting on that? I like that. So if work is having um, a negative impact on, your, on the other areas in any way, then you might look at, well, where's the balance off here and how can we make that better? Okay, so that, that actually leads me to my next question because, uh, as I said, I was trying to create what they call a balance, but as I said, I don't firmly believe in having a balance as long as your um, priorities are intact. Yeah, which is a balance. That's your balance. Yeah, and, and look, for me, no matter what I do, whether it be sport, whether it be work, whether it be anything, I'm excessive. I like doing things in extreme because I feel I get better, better outcomes, but I enjoy them more, and it's definitely not for everyone. Right. What would you say? Would you say that's the wrong way to go about things? Would you alter it? What would you say? I What's your wouldn't. professional opinion? Look, I, my professional opinion is that it's not one size fits all. Okay, so I think that often we're looking for that special formula and, and that's often what people are offering, right? Do this in this way and you'll feel better and your life will be better and you'll get work-life balance and all of that. But actually it doesn't work that way. You really just have to look at what's going on for you. What's important for you? What's, what are the non-negotiables for you? I love that. What do you want to make time for? And for you that's going to be really different than it is going to be for me and anybody else. And the reason I like that, because when a lot of people approach when it comes to wealth building, which is what I do at Reventine, and they say to me, Chris, where shall I buy, what shall I do? I said, that discussion is discussion two or three or four. 
They go, what do you mean? We need to f- clearly understand your goals and Absolutely. objectives first. What's important? I use the term non-negotiables a lot too, mm-hmm. and then devise a strategy for you. One property doesn't fit all. One strategy doesn't fit all. It really depends what you're trying to achieve. Should I buy this property? Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. They go, what do you mean? I need to, I need to ask more questions. Exactly. And identify how important is having your own home to you. Should you have this much debt? Should you buy in this area? So I really, I really resonate with what you said because when we develop strategies for our clients, mm-hmm. I don't say this is the property for you all. That's the second, third, fourth conversation in most cases. Mm-hmm. I need to know a lot more about them. So I yeah, find that intriguing. That you do have to really understand what's going on for you. And then also understand, well, what are the obstacles that get in the way for you, like in achieving the stuff that you want to achieve? That's going to be vastly different from one person to the next. So the strategy needs to be different as well. It takes emotional intelligence to understand that and to identify that because a lot of people feel one strategy fits all or one, one fitness regime fits all, one this fits all. Right, but exactly. And it's never the case. I actually, I actually coach my clients exactly in the same method. So I really like that. Fantastic. Now you've launched another business over last year, which we started talking about. <laughs> Tell me a bit about that. Well, uh, it's called Skills for Life. Yep. Um, Skills for Life courses and coaching in full. Um, it's really started out as a way for people to access evidence-based skills and strategies. I love you say that, evidence-based. It's yep. all backed, so it's so important. It's not just I say this, it's backed with research exactly. and with data. Everything's about data and science. I, I so, think yep. that's so important. I think that um, it's getting better, like in terms of the the quality of information out there. But a lot of it is about people's stories and what's worked for them personally. And like we just said, that's fine for them, and I'm glad that that's worked. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. And that's dangerous because if when people are giving people that message, okay, follow this formula. It worked really well for me, and then it doesn't work for you. It makes people feel. Like there's something, there's wrong, something with wrong with me. Did I do something yeah. wrong? Which is, is clear, yeah. Yeah, and I don't believe that, you know, when I work with people that they can ever fail. Um, it's, it's I, I can fail, they can't. It, um, it's about like understanding that person, implementing a strategy, reviewing it, making sure like what's working, what isn't in an objective way, and then making the adjustments as you can. So Skills for Life is really about being, being able to give people evidence-based, information from hopefully a source they can trust, which is me, (laughs) and um, doing that in an engaging way, doing that in an online platform where they, you know, that's user-friendly, that's practical, that's efficient, that's private, and um, that's ethical as well. So it's it's a place where you're not going to hear a lot of false promises. You're not going to hear that you're going to get rid of anxiety. You're not going to hear that you're going to be happy all the time. So you might say you might manage anxiety or you learn to be happy or come up with tools that, with that kind of... Well, I mean, exa- I want to present what reality looks like, not what ideal life, you know, utopia looks like. We, we're living in reality and we need to, like, expect and accept what reality offers. And reality doesn't offer happiness all the time. And to stay alive, we need anxiety. So we really don't want to get rid of it. Because it's a fight or flight, isn't it? Yeah, we need it. Yeah. It keeps us alive. So yes, it can be dysfunctional at times and we need to learn how to deal with that and to recognize when it is and know what to do about it. But we certainly don't want to set up in people's minds that you can get rid of it or that even you should. And that's the same with stress as well. You need, you need some stress and anxiety in your life. And I think it's more about, I think you hit the nail on the head, it's identifying it and understanding, having an awareness of it to be able to use it when you see fit, but also to, hey, I'm highly stressed here, what can I do? What are some of the tools that I can use mm. in my arsenal to reduce my stress levels, to create the work-life balance or such? So I really like that. Now, you also deal with a lot of people in mental health. Now, obviously we just, well, 
had a pandemic or in the middle of a pandemic, whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah. This was a topic that was so important and so many people were talking about mental health for a variety of reasons, not just entrepreneurs, but a lot of people, people that were working, employees, staff members, team Absolutely. members, or just students, you name it. A lot of people are struggling with this. What are some of the tools or tips or what have you seen in terms of people struggling with mental health and some tools you can actually give them or I don't know, breathing techniques or whatever it may be, what would you say? Oh, there's, I mean, there, there are a variety of skills and strategies. Breathing techniques is one of them. It's probably not the one that I use the most. I think people hear the word mindfulness and they think it's just about breathing. And it doesn't have to be. And a lot of people don't like that form of mindfulness. Yeah. So I like to um, teach people about what I call practical mindfulness. And practical mindfulness is something that you can do anywhere, anytime with anyone. And you don't have to be in the lotus position to do it. You know, um, so practical mindfulness techniques, um, simple things like just and and you can do it for two minutes and get some benefit out of it. So just like being able to take those mini breaks in your life to to refocus or to accept whatever's going on. And that's realistic. When you've got two minutes, you're not going to say, hey, you need seven hours a day to do this. It's <laughs> yeah. got to be done every day. It's got to be done eight days a week. Yes, there's this formula thing that, you know, like people think you have to do 20 minutes in the morning and you have to, you know, have a quiet space. And you actually don't. You don't need those things. You can, and if you like to do that, and that's your routine, that's fantastic. I started transcendental meditation it. on that, Lillian. Sorry, yeah. sorry, interject there. No, please. And they said usually it's twenty minutes with two and two and so twenty two and a half. Mm. Sometimes I do ten, ten and a half. Mm -hmm. You got to find a quiet place, but I actually purposely find challenging places at times too to see if I can get myself to that state, mm. whether I'm outside or whatever the case be, just so I can challenge myself and my mind to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's twenty, twenty five. Sometimes it's ten, but I don't really set an exact number, I just said, I want to do this to see how it can improve me. And, and you, you spoke on something I really want uh, my audience to hear. Someone might have done something, they recommend that advice to someone, it might have worked for them. Yeah. But unless you have a proven track record, you've been a clinical psychologist for over 20 years, mm. in real estate for 22 and helped 3,000 clients, I tell people, don't go to no fake guru that's done one deal or has spoken to how they can build wealth but they don't have money themselves or they're going to talk with our clinical science back mm -hmm. behind that mm -hmm. it's so dangerous going to the wrong person going to someone with a proven track record has helped so many people that will hold you in good stead but someone that has the emotional intelligence to understand it's not one size fits all right. i need to ask more questions but for me when you said to me it's having someone with a proven track record i speak about that so often because i want to know who i'm getting advice from i think uh, that's so important too in fact the forward in my life blockers book which is the insomnia one it's called Life Blockers, the Sleep Edition. And in the forward, I actually explain to people, like, there is a lot of stuff out there that just isn't true. And you need to check who is giving you the information. And, um, and there's so many fake profiles out there and so many different ways that people can- It's what the internet now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, people like can present showcase. themselves as, as an expert. And, you know, uh, as psychologists, there's ethics is kind of the basis of everything, so. We don't even call ourselves experts, even after you know, ten years of postgraduate education and twenty years of experience. And so many personal one-on-ones as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, most of my work has been with individuals and groups, um, smaller groups. So, you learn so much, and you're enriched so much by that experience, um, seeing people change, and that is part of what you're you're delivering to people is that that experience and that opportunity that information so i think that's so important because the internet's allowed everyone to pop up as gurus experts or in their fields and i tell people trust but verify that information Absolutely. or that source it's so important when it comes to health 
mental health, mm. finances, anything. Trust but verify. And the best indicator for me, um, do you live and breathe what you say? Do you understand that? How long have you been doing that? Tell me what you've done. Is it medically backed? Do you have case study after case study? How'd you get that? Because yes. for me, that's so important. But I think we're in an age now where everyone's an expert in every field. But I want to go to the source to exactly understand where did you get your information from? Are you a clinical psychologist with 20 years? Yeah. You've got a practice. So that, that, that holds a lot of um, stead in when you're giving advice and information. Yeah, I think that's part of that um, really important skill, the critical analysis skill. You know, that I try to teach my kids that all the time. What is the source? You know, they, they'll spill out facts, right? My, my daughter's very political, so she wants to. How many, how many little ones do you have? I have two, and one's 11 and one's 14. So my daughter's 14, and she likes to have political conversations all the time. Oh my God, already? That's the <laughs> dinner really... table, and, uh, which we all love. And, um, but sometimes she'll just, you know, say something as, like it's a fact. And it's like, well, where, where did you get that information from? What's your source? You know, and, and sometimes she'll say things like Google. And I'm like, Google is not a source. Like, you really need to look into um, the statements that people are making to verify, like you said, verify it. Trust but verify it. Yeah. And it's so important when you it get is. the information. And it's what we teach our kids but, and the validity of that information. Now, um, thank you very much for the, today. And I've got a quick fire question. I've got a left field thing. I heard you don't like blue M&Ms. Is that true? <laughs> Yes, it is true. I have something against them. Do you want to know why? Is it the color or is it the taste? Because blue is my favorite color, but, and I love M&Ms, and I can't taste the difference. So I'm very curious. Why don't you like blue M&Ms? There is no taste difference, and it's not a fully rational reason. Okay. Do you know psychologists can be irrational as well? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, we're just more aware of it. Well, my wife was studying psychology. She tells me a lot of these things too, and she embeds them in me. And I, I thought many years ago when we started dating that I might have been an experiment, but she was asking a lot of my questions like that. Yeah, so I'm more aware of it, and I don't judge myself for it. That's the, that's the key. So yeah, blue M&Ms, I don't like them because they took over um, the color, which was a light brown color that used to be in the M&Ms pack, but when blue came in, they chucked them out and that was my favorite color so i'm I'm sorry about that for for the people that love blue that's good news for us now lillian you've been absolutely amazing and um skills for life and your books we're going to put everything in the links all three of your books please read them you'll learn a lot from them i've got a bunch of quick fire questions for you oh great are you ready to go oh okay i was not going to ask your favorite color because it's not blue is it i mean i like blue oh good now (laughs) If you, could have one, if you could have one last meal, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Um, my husband makes a really good Iranian dish. I'm from Iran, and, I, and he's decided he's going to learn how to cook it because I don't like to cook. And it's called tachin, and it's um, got chicken and rice and yogurt and saffron in it, and it's beautiful. Sounds beautiful amazing. Dish. Why not? Now, if, if your house was on fire and you had to run back in to get two things, what would you get? Besides people, obviously. Yeah, we're hoping the family's out. <laughs> that's that, good. Obviously, that's the most family important. Family's gone. So let's assume the family and our pets are out. Oh, goodness. Probably um, any f- memorabilia that I have. That's so, so photos, important. yeah. So my photos and um, probably my laptop. Very common, those two. Yeah. Now, a name of book that you've read that's positively influenced you. Goodness. Um, so many. Let's see. I really like um, I like I like darker books because, and so I don't read a lot of um, 
you know, those kind of... Is it because you get into the inside of the mind of the person? Is that why you like it? Well, I think because there's always a message of, not always, but often a message of they get through it. There's strength in it. There's courage in it. And I really like to see a journey that that has that. I think that every person that comes to see me is it's the most one of the most courageous acts to just trust somebody with. So what everything. book? One book. Um, there's one called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. It's a mouthful. I'd like to David get that Edgar. off you when you leave because I know my wife reads all this book and I'd like to get that for her. Yeah, it's got some humor in it and it's about um, yeah, it's about a young man who's had a lot of challenges and he's written it in a in a very interesting way, like a stream of consciousness way. I'm going to get that. I, I read <laughs> lighthearted. I read co- I, uh, personal development stuff like that. Now, um, who would play you in a movie for the story of your life? Which actress would play you? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know if I should base that on looks or personality or what. I love... Um, I Well, probably... People have said Sandra Bullock is so similar looking, so maybe Sandra Bullock, and she has that range. She's not of a bad being actress fun. either. Not a she's bad, won an Oscar, not right? A bad actress. She has some gravitas, exactly. So she's got the whole package. Why not? Best gift you've ever received. Best gift. Um, a mixed tape. This is going back. I know about mixed tapes as well. <laughs> So I met my husband in Europe, and um, we had a long-distance relationship, and he's Australian, so I ended up moving here for him. But while we were apart, he sent me a mixtape, and I still have that tape with all the songs. That's fantastic. Congratulations. I'm about to celebrate my 10-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations. That's good to hear. Now, if you had one superpower, Lillian, what would it be? Well... This is going to sound a little minds. bit hokey. No, I don't. People already <laughs> think I know how to I'm do that. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Yeah? <laughs> That's the one thing that people think that I already know how to do. They get very stressed about it. I don't read minds. Um, and I don't really want to. I think it's scary. the power to heal people, that's probably a power that I would like. You know, being what you do, you actually do. You can say that you do heal people. Um, if you were working your current career as a clinical psychologist, what would you be doing? If I wasn't doing that? Yeah. I love... Um, photography and writing. So probably photojournalism or some combination of the two. Okay. Or something in sports. Something in sports, like a sports journalist or something? Sure. Because that's writing and it's sports, so yeah. you get two. Now, <laughs> right. when you started in your career, what was one of the hardest things you had to learn? What was a le- lesson that really resonated with you? When I started my career, I started working with um, children who were 12 to 17 who were remanded by the courts into a drug um, rehab facility. So what was the hardest thing was to see um, how difficult their lives were and that that actually exists. You know what, it's, it's, uh, you, a lot of people see circumstances that people judge certain say You don't know how people have got to where they've got it to. You so don't much. know their story. You don't know their backstory. Yeah. And it's just important to be empathetic and try to help everyone because yeah. a series of bad circumstances or choice can lead anybody there. I do a lot of work with Vinnie's and mm. I see a lot of that. And people are very judgmental, but you just don't know. And you should always try to lend an empathetic, uh, kind hand. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that lead to why people think and behave in a certain way. And like you said, you don't know what those things are. So and how we help curious, them, I think, says a lot. Mental. Of course, and how we help them says a lot about us and it'll make it a nicer place if we're more empathetic and mm-hmm. kind. Now, f- for our listeners, <laughs> we've learned so much um, about you and, and about what, what, what you do. Give me a couple key takeaways that you want people to take away from our discussion here today. Well, I think the important thing is um, get good quality information from wherever you can. Um, search for an evidence base. 
um, in what er whatever area you're doing research on. Yep. The other thing is to try to get equipped with skills and strategies that will put you in a place where you can concentrate on the things that you want to concentrate on mm -hmm. and do that as early as possible. Don't wait. Um, you can still, you know, if you've waited 20 years already, it's still not too late, right? Yeah, of Start course, tomorrow. of course, of course. Um, but the earlier you get in, the better it will be and the more... Um, Equipped you'll be, more confident exactly. you'll be. Yeah. And also, I just want to add this in, everyone can change. So anyone who thinks that they can't and it's too late, that's absolutely not true. And I've seen it. I've seen it in action. It comes down to mindset and what you believe. It comes down to having the right support to actually give, instill that mindset in you. Yeah, I mean, resilience comes from, you know, the main factor is close relationships and that support you get. Oh, really? Upbringing. Yeah. This, I mean, there are two other factors that pl are at play, which are mindset, yeah. so believing that you can and having an optimistic outlook and also having particular skills. But you usually learn those skills in your upbringing. So if you haven't, then, then you need to learn them now. Of course. Yeah. That makes great sense. And last question. From 1 to 10, how much fun have you had on this podcast? 10, of course. There you go. Maybe 12. There you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lillian, for being on the show. You're welcome. I really enjoyed your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys.